Welcome and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, Vice President of Site Engagement with the Society. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn about our community. Today, we're here to talk about patient centricity and decentralized clinical trials. Patient centricity has really been a hot topic in the clinical research industry for as long as I can remember. But recently, the industry has realized that to be truly patient-centric, you also have to be site-centric. Sites are at the forefront of clinical trial participant interaction, and only sites know how to respond to these new technologies, what works and what doesn't for both them and their patient. Site input matters because sites see and hear firsthand what patients need. I'm lucky today to be here with Dina Bernstein, the Vice President of Customer Success at DataCubed, to discuss what it means to be site and participant-centric in clinical trials and how industry partners can do the same. Dina, thank you for being here. If you wouldn't mind a brief introduction from yourself, please. Sure, Jimmy. Thank you for the opportunity today. My name is Dina Bernstein. Some of you may know me from being involved in SCRS since its inception. I spent the first 20 plus years of my career developing site networks for large healthcare organizations and CROs and IROs. And within the last year and a half have pivoted to the technology solution provider side of the house. And it's been an amazing opportunity for me to get to know what goes on behind the scenes in developing technology that the sites and patients use in clinical trials and bringing that expertise to the table of how the sites interact with technology has been a really great opportunity for both myself and for the organization as we develop products for patients to use in clinical trials. Excellent, thank you, Dina. Uh, Dina, what does it mean to you to be both site and patient centric, right? Using those that that as one term there. And when do you think the industry realized that it wasn't looking at the whole picture and we weren't really being site or participant or patient centric? So that that's kind of a loaded question. I remember the first time I heard the word patient centric in clinical trials. And I was working at the sites back then and thinking about, well, really, haven't we always been putting our patients first at the site level? But I guess industry all of a sudden kind of came up with this, this new um, buzz about being patient-centric. So we were always thinking about patients, and I think pharma sponsors, CROs were too, but they really started to think about what it meant and you know, I think what it means is designing and executing clinical trials that can provide the biggest impact, the biggest benefits to patients, and then putting sites front and center as they're designing clinical trials about like, how would it, what would it really mean to execute a clinical trial for a site? Putting both patients and sites at the front as VIP stakeholders and for an example, when patients used to come into the site, we didn't make them wait. And we had some of our sites were kind of commingled with private practices. But when it was a clinical trial, those patients never had to wait because those were our VIPs and they were volunteering to participate in a trial. So that's just one, you know, small thing that comes to mind at the site level. But from the sponsor's perspective, I guess 
it refers to the process of designing that trial from the very beginning or whatever it is, a product, a service, um, around what the patient's needs and it bringing the voice of the patient into the design and implementation of the trials right from the start. There's a lot of talk about that, but rarely do we see any of these stakeholders ask the sites, you know, what they think is patient-centric or what they think would be more patient or even site-centric and make things easier for them to implement in a trial. It's a good point, Dina, that you bring up around protocol design, right, or trial design, even even further up the ladder there, uh, making sure that what we're doing as an industry is focused on the needs and the ease of the patients and the sites that are involved in these trials. Asking them the questions early on before things are set in stone um, is, a, is a really great example of a way that we can that we can be patient centric. So I appreciate you bringing up that examples. And I, I want to talk a little bit about decentralized clinical trials or what we've we've coined as DCTs. And they've really taken the industry by storm over specifically these last couple of years. We've learned that some of these technologies, unfortunately, associated with DCTs, increase the burden on sites and therefore on patients. So in being from a company that is involved in decentralization of clinical trials, what measures can be taken to reduce the burden again on sites and patients? Again, that that's a, that, that's a question we could spend hours talking about. Oh, but absolutely. For for us at, at DataCube, we we listen a lot, and especially in my role as VP of Customer Success, it's all about listening to the voice of the patient, the voice of the customer, the voice of the site, and we we lean on them. And you know what the sites are saying is that they have too many systems, and we need to limit them. Um, they they have an issue with training. They think training is not effective. The types of training they're getting, and just imagine this. A sponsor and a CRO is, you know, choosing a solutions provider to provide some sort of technology in their trial, and they've never asked the site about what they like, right? And they're also asking the site to train the participant, but really the solutions provider never gets that opportunity to be, you know, face-to-face -face or talk to those sites other than maybe um, you know, providing training materials or if they're lucky enough to be able to present at an investigator meeting and tell them, you know, show them the tools that they need to train on these types of technologies. So it's a tremendous burden on them. And we listen to those kind of things. So you also have to offer good support if you're going to be, you know, providing these sites with all these different systems that they need to consider and pay them to train. So they spend so many hours. I think the latest statistic that we heard was, what is it, 27 hours per month or 27 systems per month per trial. And um, what, I, I can't exactly remember, maybe 19 hours per month of training for all these systems. It was just, how could you ever do that? And, and do it for so many different trials but not pay the sites to actually train on these different systems that they're being asked to use. So I guess what I'd say is we should have realized when we were for when we were seeing that ECOA and EPRO wasn't, you know, improving diversity in trial populations, that it should be a tool to make it easier to participate where patients 
don't feel they need to live, you know, close to the site to participate in experimental, you know, trial. And, and that could have really helped them. A lot of great examples there, Dina, and, uh, you know, kind of summarizing and pulling a couple of them out, right? You talked about um, really support and training, right? Giving the sites the support and the training and the patience that they need to be successful with these technologies, but also reimbursing them for the time associated with that support and that training. And that's, uh, again, another topic that I think we could talk about for hours. But one of the areas that um, it really needs to be investigated further and maybe dived into a little bit more from the industry perspective. Sites continue to pound that drum. We've seen the evidence, we've heard from the sites and um, through them from the patients that this really is a great example of an issue that uh, exists in in the industry. And so I wanna, you talked about ways to reduce burden on the sites and the patients, but I wanna talk a little bit about the technology itself, right? What types of, we'll call them elements of decentralized clinical trials or pieces of technology that reflect both the needs of the participants and the sites? And what are some of those areas of opportunity for improvement when it comes to some of the technology elements there, right? So again, what reflect the need of both the patients and the sites, and then where can we improve when it comes to these technology elements? So it's about designing and understanding, you know, we should focus on the design and understanding and facilitating better connections between sites and patients, not 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 replacing them. I remember going back to an SCRS meeting when we first started talking about the DCTs and sites were a little apprehensive and then came COVID and we had to pivot and utilize DCTs and start to adopt. But there's so many areas still where we can, you know, improve. And, you know, again, means it means better patient centricity, fewer steps for site staff in getting that in the hands of the patients that use them. Um, and also about making sure that we're doing that what we're doing isn't just a requirement on the sites for getting the you know, the data to sponsors, but giving sites help and caring for their patients, making it easier, like truly reducing that burden on the site and measuring that success through maybe compliance and retention. And that way it's a win-win for everybody. That's a great example, Dina. Absolutely. With compliance and, and integrity, right? Seeing the proof being in the pudding, right? At the end of the study, were the patients compliant? Was the technology easy to use? Checking in with the sites and with the participants or patients to get their feedback on how that process was, I think is a really good example of opportunities for improvement when it comes to utilizing technology, for sure. Yeah, let me, when you think about it, every click counts, it's time. And these clicks should be intuitive and as few as possible. So really making things easy. Agreed. Absolutely. Speaking of making things easy, Dina, what when designing technology for DCTs, what type of feedback does DataCube incorporate, right? What are some of the ways that you receive site and participant feedback um, on your technologies at your organization? Yeah, so I, I told you we have a site advisory board and they give us some amazing feedback on current trends and, and what we're doing currently and what we should develop in the future. Like the way they talk about ways to contact patients through our app. And 
you know, if they had ways to send reminders and, you know, some of the things that, that they're not seeing in the technology that they're using, we, we lean on that information and try to build it into, you know, our, our future feature requests. And that's one of the things that we hear from our customers a lot. I do a lot of customer interviews where I'm doing a lot of listening to the voice of the customer, the voice of the patient, the voice of the site, and, you know, taking that and you know building it into a better training training is a huge quagmire for sites they don't like any of the training that they've seen it's never on time they might get trained at an investigator meeting but not use a certain piece of technology for months and months later so providing a multi-pronged training approach to the products that they're using i think is is one thing that we pride ourselves in you know doing and, and giving the sites those those options and being there for them when they need us the most. And through the intersection, we're using behavioral science through the technology, in the technology, and we achieve better patient outcomes. And that makes for a more rewarding clinical trial experience for everybody. Yeah, totally, Dina. Having optionality, I think, is a really big um, desire from the industry. But, uh, you, you know, there's there are challenges that come with the optionality. We won't get into those today, but um, you know, it, I'm sure it requires more resources on your end uh, to be able to provide that. But in the end, if it uh, enables customer and or patient site success, um, it, it ultimately is probably beneficial for the entire industry. So we talked a little bit about what DataCube's doing, but if you were to advise the industry, right, our sponsors and CROs and, and maybe even some of our other technology provider partners, how can they be more mindful when designing these DCTs to ensure that they're fit for purpose and provide optionality for those participants as well as for the sites? And you've spoken about some examples briefly, but maybe diving into some of those that you mentioned before or maybe others that you can think of. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a great point. Give it, you brought up optionality and giving participants choices, not directives, as well as sites. And I, I heard recently from um, I think it was Anna Marquez about if the site couldn't use a certain system or technology that they couldn't participate or they they wouldn't be able to qualify for that trial. I don't remember if she said it was a site or participant, but don't be so inclusive by giving directives like that. And, you know, I would say, you know, find products like DataCube that, you know, have true configurable solutions that from the ground up, they're built with patients in mind and, and they are, you know, patient site, I'd say the full gamut sponsor agnostic. So everybody can use them and really benefit from the, the technology. Great example, Dina, which which kind of leads me to my next question here around, I guess, kind of summarizing some of the key points that you had mentioned, right, Dina, but maybe bring those back for us. Um, what can sponsors, CROs, and technology solution providers do to become more patient-centric, right? You had mentioned, I'll start off, right? You had mentioned um, providing the optionality, right? To make your products multifaceted, make them something that can be um, utilized in whatever fashion best suits the patients and the sites, whatever fits their workflows or their lives is a, is a great example of what can be done when we're developing these solutions. But what are some other, um, you, again, summarizing some of the other key points that you had mentioned around in that space? 
choose vendors that vet sites and patients, right? And the sponsors should be asking the sites about and the patients, you know, how how it went. How you know was this technology that we chose for you easy to use? And really listening to the pros and the cons of it. There's so many different things we can learn from different people because everybody's journey is different and every site is different. Every patient is different. We all learn differently. We all like different types of things, but you can glean so much from just asking a few questions and then zipping it and listening. And I think that's really, that's, it's, that's the secret sauce and it's really not even that big of a secret. You just have to listen. And I would take that a step further too, right, Dina? Listening in the context of actually making change as a result of those conversations, right? It's one thing to provide lip service and and listen and say that you listen and 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 that you want to hear what everyone has to say. But you and I have both experienced this from the site side. You lose credibility as an organization when you say that you listen and that you want to hear from the sites or the participants, patients, but don't actually incorporate any of those changes and come back and 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 show the industry that yes, we did listen and we've made change. A hundred percent. If you're if you're going to ask the question and you're going to listen to the question, you're obligated to do something about it. Absolutely. And some some organizations do that very well um, and some can some continue to struggle with that. But uh, I think that's a great message for us to end on and end our conversation here today. So, Dina, I want to say thank you for being here today and talking with us about this important topic from the perspective of someone in of your caliber who has not only been in the site side, but also having been at the technology provider side of things. So, again, thank you for being here with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. For everyone listening, make sure that you register for our upcoming summits like the Australia-New Zealand Summit being held July 12th and 13th in Melbourne, Australia by visiting the summit link on our website, myscrs.org. While you are on our website, be sure to also check out our other SCRS publications for the community in the publications section of myscrs.org as well. We appreciate your participation in today's program and looking forward to having you join us for more great content. Thanks for being here and thanks for listening.